Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Good morning. We're glad y'all are with us this morning. Um, glad that some of you are getting to go back to work. Praise God. Yeah. And uh, we'll continue to pray that, that you'll be able, that will continue. We've been singing, in fact, this morning about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity along with the Father and the Son and is found all through the Bible from the very first page to the very last page. And yet in the Old Testament, as we've talked about before, we see the Holy Spirit coming on to specific people at specific times to perform specific tasks. But God has a much bigger plan. In hundreds of years before the time of Christ, God had already promised that he would pour out his spirit on his people. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he said, I will never again turn my face for them, for I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Jesus himself affirmed the spirit's coming several times in, his gospel, in the gospels. In John 14, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus told his followers that the Spirit would be in them. This was something radically different from what had been the case for all believers up to that point. And as we saw last week in Acts chapter 1, he told them, though, to wait until the Spirit did come, who would give them power. To be his witnesses. He said, we saw in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' disciples waited patiently, obediently. One day, two days, three days, a week. Ten days. And on the tenth day was the dawning of their day of Pentecost. There's a lot of symbolism connected to the Jewish feast of Pentecost. And I go into that a little bit more in our videos for our small groups that begin meeting today. And because it was one of the three great Jewish feasts in in the first century, Jews from everywhere tended to come. It was a pilgrimage that many of them tried to make at some point in their lives to come to Jerusalem to be there for the Feast of Pentecost. Did the disciples know that this was to be the day? Well, we have no evidence that they did, that they had any idea when the Spirit would come, much less what it would be like. And so they're in this mode of waiting, as Jesus told them to do, and and. The day of Pentecost dawns, and it's just like any other day as it begins. The sun comes up. You take care of your chores. Um, It's been about 10 days since Jesus ascended, but it will turn out to be a very different day. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And, of course, we've been encouraging us all to bring our Bibles. If you have your Bible, digital or print, hold it up. All right, we're getting better every week. So we also do have bulletin inserts that have some of that in there, but we want to encourage you to do that and feel free to write in your Bible. It, it's, it's really okay. It really is okay. It's, 
God would be okay with that. It's not like your mother saying, don't ever write in your Bible. Well, maybe there was a time, but I'm just telling you, it's okay. And so, um, we're going to begin looking in, at Acts chapter 2. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible or at least one in a modern translation, we do have some out in our Next Steps area we'd like to give you to make sure you do have one. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in the very first verse, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, and of course now as Christians we kind of, if you grew up in a liturgical environment, you have an already a, an understanding of that, but it was very different for the Jews, and they weren't, none of them were seeing it the way it was going to become. So that day of Pentecost came, and they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we we read in Acts chapter 1 that there were about 120 disciples of Jesus gathering together. That included the twelve or the eleven apostles, uh, and plus the new apostle that you can read about later in Acts chapter one. Jesus' mother, and even now his brothers. So one moment it is a typical day, and perhaps they are gathered together there studying scripture, what we would call the Old Testament, praying. And in the next moment, there is this experience, these physical manifestations of sounds and sights begin to occur around them. And even as Luke reflects back, after certainly talking to numerous eyewitnesses, there's no easy way for any of them to describe what happens. If you notice the language, it's metaphor and simile. They're, they're trying to, there's no real words to fully describe. There was sound, it says, like the sound of, a, of a, the blowing of a violent wind. And there were things that they were seeing, visual manifestations that seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And then Luke says the Holy Spirit filled each of them. And so those external manifestations that they had seen coming into the room that they'd been hearing now became internal as the Spirit enabled each of them to begin to speak in other tongues. In a sense, this picture is, is such a striking contrast of Old Testament Israel and New Testament church. In the past, the Spirit had largely worked around the Israelites and only occasionally within a follower. But now with Jesus' ascension, the Spirit has come and is now working in and through all believers and so we read in verse, beginning in verse 5, Now they were, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, it's Pentecost. They've come to this feast. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard, each one heard them speaking in his own language. So there are crowds in Jerusalem. It's the Pentecost feast. And it appears from what Luke writes that the sounds that they heard inside the room have also carried forth outside. Um, somehow, you're, you're standing out on the road, you're, you're walking to the temple, and you're hearing what sounds like a violent wind blowing, but, but the trees aren't moving. There's st- stuff happening all around you. And you begin to wonder. And, and the, the, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the disciples begin to come out of the building they've been in and out into the street. And as they continue talking, the individuals there from all these various countries uh, hear disciples speaking in their languages. And they, they're in awe. It is a miracle. 
In fact, we sang that, didn't we, of the Holy Spirit. That was part of what we sang. But there's no indication, and and let's be clear, there's no indication that this is the spiritual gift of speaking in unknown tongues that the Apostle Paul will later write about. That gift required another believer to be there with the Holy Spirit also working in them, enabling them to hear and interpret what to others sounded like nonsense. But here we have non-believers, non-followers of Jesus, who have yet to receive the Holy Spirit, who are hearing and understanding what is being said in their own native languages instead of the more common language of the realm, some form of Greek. Now, don't get me wrong. We certainly believe that the gift of speaking tongues exists, is still active in the church today. But from everything Luke is telling us, this isn't that. And those who use the Pentecost event to make a case that all believers must speak in unknown tongues have missed what Luke is actually telling us. Because something a lot bigger, a lot much greater is happening here. It is the fulfillment of the promise God first made to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. That's like from now all the way back to the time of Jesus going that much further back that all people would receive God's blessings through him. That, that promise is now coming true. The Lord said to, in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you, talking to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. You look at Luke's genealogy in in the gospel he wrote, chapter 3. He traces Jesus' ancestry back through Abraham and further. Jesus and his spirit are the beginning of the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment God spoke of to Abraham and his ancestors, which, as the Apostle Paul demonstrates in his letter to the Romans, isn't limited to ancestral Jews. Isn't limited to people who can trace their, their bloodline back to a, a Jewish person. But includes everyone who has believed Jesus is the Christ and put their faith in him. And now the beginning of that blessing is pouring out into the streets of Jerusalem. It was only natural as God is doing this great work in their midst that they would head then from there into the temple courts to praise God. We believe they headed there because toward the end of chapter 2, we're going to read that 3,000 listeners are going to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And only the court of the Gentiles at the temple was large enough for this size of crowd. And, And the court of the Gentiles is essentially the area on either side of that center section where the temple is within all those colonnades, those, those large areas. It's the only place in Jerusalem, uh, within the walls of Jerusalem, where that could have taken place. We, um, and as they, as they head to the temple, more and more Jews hear them speaking, speaking in their native languages. Verse 7, it says they were utterly amazed and asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Making this even more amazing to, to many of the Jews is the fact that, they, that those that they hear talking are Galileans. Now, we, we don't think about that so much because we don't, we don't, we're not maybe connected with that history. But when you look at a map, Galilee was Jewish, located to the north of Judea, which was the home to Jerusalem, the temple, the center of Jewish worship. But it was separated from Judea by the area called Samaria. And we know that, that the Jews didn't have good thoughts about the Samaritans, uh, those who lived in that area. So the Galileans were kind of far away. And, and they were, quite honestly, they were kind of considered the uneducated country bumpkins of Judaism. They were the rednecks, if you will. And I can say that because I'm a redneck. So it's, it, I don't mean that because sometimes we rednecks are amazing, okay? So if you're a redneck, watch out. You never know what God's going to do. And so the, the fact that it was Galilean Jews seemed even more amazing to those who, who looked down their noses at them. It, you know, what good can, can come from in Galilee? What, we don't, those, those folks are just, they're ignorant. They're uneducated. They don't have the, the temple here. They can come here every once in a while. And to make the... His point, how amazing it all is, Luke tells us of people from all over the world were hearing the Galilean Jews in their own languages. It really was a miracle of the Spirit. In verse 12, it says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And Luke's going to record the apostle Peter answering this question in in a sermon, starting in verse 14. And and our video uh, study will go into what he says in more detail. But this morning, we can already see just in these first 12 verses, a couple of very significant answers to this question for us today. What does this mean to us today? First, it means the Lord can be trusted. We sang about this. Over and over again, we see that God always does what he says he's going to do. He promised the coming of the Holy Spirit hundreds of years earlier, and now it's happened. Again, from Ezekiel, the sovereign Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In his sermon, Peter points to to the words of the prophet Joel speaking on behalf of God. who says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Jesus had told them, guys, this is going to happen. Just as he told them, He was going to be crucified, buried, and on the third day, raised from the dead. Whether it was leading the Jews out of Egypt over a a, a millennia before, as God said he would, or raising Jesus from the dead, as Jesus said he would, 
God over and over again throughout Scripture demonstrates that he can be trusted to do what he says he will do. The Bible is full of promises. And God demonstrates over and over again that he is faithful and he can be trusted to do all he says he will do. Guys, this for some of you may be the most significant thing you need to hear. Is that when God says you're loved, you can trust that. When when God says, I can do amazing things in and through you, you can trust that. When he says your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, you can trust him. Our problems are we, we, we forget his promises. I mean, that seems to be what the Jews often did. Or we allow Satan to raise doubts in our minds. If if you go through the Old Testament, hundreds of times, God told the Jews to remember all he had done for them. Over and over again, the things he had promised. Because often when they found themselves struggling, it was because they had forgotten. They'd either forgotten what God had done, or they'd given in to the, the quiet lies of Satan. As the serpent Satan used this ploy from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, if you look up Scripture, is not what he said. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. (laughs) you'll surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Did God really say that? See, Satan questions whether God actually told the truth to Adam and Eve by twisting God's words. And, and, And Eve... Giving credit, Eve corrects him on that part. But we see his pattern already here. And then he implies that God is selfish and is holding something good back from them because he's not giving them one tree out of all of them. I mean, how often do we feel like sometimes well, God's, the things that, that I know I'm supposed to do, the things that God leads me to do in my life that, according to Scripture, he's just trying to keep me from having some fun. Everybody else is doing it and, th- and nobody's getting hurt. Yet, did God say that? And every day, in lots of ways, Satan is calling us to question can God be trusted? Can you really believe what his word says? Or do you want to just kind of dismiss the parts that are uncomfortable? Do you want to set aside the things that don't fit in with how your life is going today? See, that's the challenge that we have. You know, it's been said a lot of times that the number one reason someone becomes a Christian is because of other Christians. But the number one reason a person doesn't become a Christian is because of other Christians. Because people will look at us and say, "You, you don't seem to be any different from me. You cuss the same way I cuss. You, you cheat the same way I cheat. You, you backstab or you gossip or you do this or you do that, whatever it may be. So why should I put myself under some additional restraints? 
when I can be just like you? And that's Satan saying, did he really say that? Do you really have to do that? But Pentecost is another example that proves that God can be trusted in all that he promises, regardless of the lies, the deceits of the enemy, and those he speaks through. And of course, let's be clear, he doesn't promise whatever we want, you know. He's not Santa Claus. And so, you know, you don't go to him and say, here's Santa, here's my list. And on December 25th, that morning, you wait to see, wake up to see if he brought you everything you wanted. He doesn't work that way. Because his concern is not to give you and me everything we want. His concern is to grow me into who he wants us to be. And sometimes that, that means not giving us what we want. In fact, many of us could say, thank God he didn't give me what I wanted. Because that's what would have gotten me in trouble. Now looking back. But do I trust him today? with wherever he's calling me forward. And the key for you and me is to spend time in God's word daily so that the Holy Spirit can help us to know God's promises, to remember them, to trust them. I mean, when we read Scripture, it's not simply just a a task. If you believe the Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of Scripture, I believe you should also understand that he's involved in the hearing and reading if you choose to listen. And yeah, there's some things that make us uncomfortable. And there's some things that we're still trying to figure out. I won't, I won't kid you. I don't, I don't claim to have everything in this, in, this, in this book figured out. But what I've decided is I can trust him even when I don't understand. And that's what we see here in Pentecost. And, and God has all these wonderful promises. We've included a link on our Find It page on our website to our book called Clark's Scripture Promises. This was compiled over 250 years ago, but it points us to so many promises of God in so many places. And so we put it there just so you can go and take a look. You can download it as a PDF. You can carry it with you on your phone. And it has various categories of when you might need to trust God, when you need a certain kind of promise and to look for it. The coming of the Holy Spirit is prophesied centuries earlier by the prophets and and weeks before by Jesus proves once again that God can be trusted and we can trust him. And we gather weekly in worship to remember, to reclaim all he's done because Satan's, Satan loves to tell his lies. and We've all heard him. And beyond that, we, we just tend to forget. And our worship together helps us to claim, yes, I can trust him. Yes, I will trust him. I will sing it. I will shout it from the rooftops. He is my God. The second thing the Spirit's coming demonstrates that we can see here is that the gospel is for all people. If the good news of Jesus Christ and the freedom he won for us on the cross had been just for the Jews, then the Spirit wouldn't have needed to empower the the disciples to speak in other languages because they could have all spoken in, in the language of the Jews even if it was a second language for them, all the people who were there in Jerusalem. And Luke makes sure to tell us in verse 11 that there were in fact converts to Judaism, which means they had originally been Gentiles. 
They were declaring the wonders of God in more than a dozen languages represented there in Jerusalem. And through his spirit, God wanted all people to hear and experience the gospel then and now. The Lord God had told Abraham this 2,000 years earlier. He said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Jesus affirmed this early in his ministry with those words we know so well. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And near the end of his time here on earth, he gave us the Great Commission, where he makes it clear that this this mission of sharing the gospel belongs to all his followers empowered by his Spirit. He told us in Acts chapter 1 that we would be his witnesses when the Spirit came. Being his witness is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the amazing thing is that as this diverse group of people heard this good news through the power of the Spirit, they responded as Peter preached his sermon. In verse 36, it begins, Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Notice, he didn't say some of you, or you guys that look this way, or just the men and not the women. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And if we trust that God is truthful, If we can trust him, then when he uses the word all, I mean, if you look in your Bibles, there's no asterisk by the word all, and down at the bottom, a little fine print, it says all. With many other words, it says he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Then those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, let's understand that Luke is telling us this not to brag, but to point to the fulfillment of God's purpose through the Holy Spirit, that the gospel is for all people. It's for all of us in this room, but it's also for everyone who's at HEB or Randall's or Kroger's right now. It's for everyone who's asleep. It's for everyone who's at work. And the gospel being for all, it is God's plan and intention that he uses spirit in his church for us to be his witnesses. Long ago, William Temple said, the church is the only institution that exists for the sake of its non-members. Now think about that. A lot of times in the church, people want to say, well, they need to take care of me. But Jesus told us to love God and love our neighbor 
as ourselves. He told us to go beyond what we want. And we are called to carry forward his mission to make disciples of all. It's why we're here every week encouraging you to to reach out to your unchurched friends and neighbors. And why we've set up this study of Acts to make it easy for you to do it in a setting where unchurched folks could easily participate. Yeah, they may not be ready to come to church. But they might be ready to come to your house or to the break room at work or to a, a table out on the grounds of the school and talk about Jesus. And let me tell you, it's still not too late for you to set up a group or join one and invite a friend to join you. If anything that we've talked about this morning here has awakened something in you, if the Spirit is moving and you need to do something or you need to make a commitment, our prayer team is going to be down here in just a moment. We, we still have journals and um, small groups, and there'll be some out there with information that you can talk to people about that. Uh, we've got men's groups, women's groups, uh, groups for, for families with young children, for all kinds of folks. So check that out. And if you're a guest with us today, um, please, I hope you'll stop over here and say hello to us, a few of us, because we'd like to, like to know you were here and, and tell you we're glad you were here today. We got a little something for you. As we wrap up this morning, though, we want to claim this Acts chapter 2 experience for ourselves. I mean, it's not, it's not just history. The Holy Spirit is still working today. We, we sang that. We prayed that. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God himself and his passion for you and all people lives in you. Think about it. The same passion that that spoke all creation into existence. The same passion that led his people out of Egypt. The same passion that, that conceived and gave birth to our Savior. The same passion that loved you so much that he allowed his son to die on the cross for you, for your sins and mine. The same passion that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same passion which is still active today, still creating miracles, lives in you, lives in me. So rise up to its calling. Let the power and passion of the Holy Spirit who has come rise up in each of us, in you be unleashed, to break through the walls, to break down the doors, to crash through the windows, to cover the earth with his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his teaching, his motives, his wonder. Let our actions and our words reflect a heart of gratitude for everything he saved us from and everything he saved us for. And let's Let's sing that again, that we can claim it for ourselves this morning. Would you stand?
choice but to bow. Chains have no choice but to break. Shame has no choice but to leave in your presence. Fear has no choice but to bow. Chains have no choice but to break. Shame has no choice but to leave in your presence. Fear has no choice but to bow. Chains have no choice but to break. Shame has no choice but to leave in your presence. Fear has no choice but to bow. Chains have no choice but to break. Shame has no choice but to leave in your presence. Fear has no choice but to break through the walls, beat down the doors, crash through the windows, and cover the earth, the earth, the earth, the earth. Let the Spirit rise up, break through the walls, beat down the doors. sake of his kingdom hear this closing this blessing if you will the spirit loves you the spirit is with you go in the power of God's spirit whom you can trust who loves all people that he may use you to crash through the windows and break down the doors and change this world God bless you see you next time to learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.